All right, let's turn to Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. We'll read from God's Word. First, we have a special update on our Lighting Moon Christmas offering. Goal 38,000. We're at 35. That's really close. That's a big jump from last week. Last week we were at 30, and so we, we've been praying this week, but uh, we were at 35. We're at 35. Uh, at least we were this morning. And so uh, all that goes to the Light of Moon Christmas offering to support foreign missions would encourage you to give. Uh, and uh, this is our last Sunday, so hopefully we can hit that mark today at $38,000. Well, let's open to Galatians chapter 5, verse 13, and we'll read through the end of the chapter. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit... Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. I pray today that it would have a profound impact on the way that we think, on the way that we speak, and on the way that we act, on our behaviors. And Lord, I pray that's true for each and every one of us. Enlighten us to the wisdom found in your word, to the revelation of God. We love you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. At any given moment, we are capable of vice or virtue. Any given moment, we're always capable of vice or virtue. I'll tell you a story. Uh, growing up, uh, I was uh, prone to get in trouble as a young kid. We're talking back like in kindergarten and stuff like that. Um, I would, uh, one day I showed up to class. My name was on the board from the previous day. And I said, Miss Hurst, my, my name is on the board from the previous day. She said, yeah, I know. I got tired of writing it, so I just left it up there. I said, okay, fair enough, <laughs> fair enough. Same was true in first grade, uh, except we had cards. We didn't write names on the board anymore. We, we uh, promoted, we, we got to cards. And green card meant you were doing good, and yellow card meant, you know, as kind of a warning. There was something on the other side of yellow that I don't really know what color that was because I always managed to leapfrog over that straight to red, which means that you're about to get a spanking, okay? Um, and uh, so uh, that was uh, kind of uh, my nature back then. And one day we were at recess, and boys being boys, we, we came up with this uh, game, spitting contest. Sounds like lots of fun, and we were having lots of fun. We were uh, having good spitting contests until, of course, that turned into a spit war. Uh, 
okay? And so this kind of like paintball, except we didn't have paintball, we just had our own spit. And so we're running around, we're running around spitting on people, okay? And uh, for whatever reason, apparently that was not okay at this uh, particular educational establishment. So we had to stand on the fence and watch everybody else finish recess. We were told if we ever did that again, we would go straight to red and we would get a spanking. Like, okay, well, we're not going to do that again. But within the next hour, we're standing in line waiting to go somewhere else. And this young lady standing in front of me suddenly turns around and says, someone spit on me. And then she looks at me and she says, you, you spit on me. Jared spit on me. Well, this was an unfortunate development for me. Um, because the next thing I knew, I found myself in a board meeting with my homeroom teacher, with the teacher in whose classroom it happened in, and the board that they were about to use to pop me with. And uh, so, you know, they're trying to talk me through this. And, and Jared, well, what's going on? Tell, tell us what happened. I said, oh, I, I didn't spit on her. So, well, she said you did spit on her. And for some reason, I'm trying to come up with a theory uh, that maintains her good integrity and, and gets me out of a spanking. So I'm like, well, uh, I could have just said she lied. But instead, I'm like, well, you know, sometimes when you talk, you know, sometimes you spit. And, 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 and maybe, maybe that's what happened. I was like, but I didn't spit on her. I've come up with this wild theory, and they weren't buying it, okay? So they uh, said, let's make a deal. Uh, one, option number one, behind door number one, if you confess and you go apologize, then um, you'll just get one pop. If you don't, then you're going to get three pops. And what they didn't know is that we had an unwritten rule at my house that if I got a spanking at school, my dad was going to finish the job when I got home, okay? So it really didn't sound like all that great of a deal to me. Uh, but uh, I was uh, pretty stubborn, so I said, no, I did not spit on her. I took my three pops, the walk of shame, back into class, and I sit down. And I just want you to think about this. This is all the same day, okay? All the same day, all the same person, within the same hour, okay? And within the same hour, on the one hand, I had the vice of no self-control, running around spitting on people, thinking that that was okay for me to do running around spitting on people. And then later in the day, like within an hour, someone accuses me of something that I did not do, and I'm trying to find a way to keep her from getting in trouble. The vice and virtue of a first grader. At any given moment, we are capable of vice or virtue. And here's the deal. We are always trending towards one or the other in our character, in our behavior. We're always trending towards one or the other, towards what is vain or what is virtuous, becoming morally weak or morally strong. Today we ask the question, what is it going to take for you to pursue virtue? What is it going to take for you to pursue virtue? And, and for a lot of us, that doesn't really sound like all that interesting of a question because we're like, well, you know, we're saved by grace and through faith and we're going to go to heaven and uh, stuff like that. And so, uh, you know, maybe my biggest challenge is uh, helping all of us to realize how important this is and how for believers it's really not an option for us to live virtuously and for us to be men and women of character and integrity. Notice what Paul says. He gives us in verses 19 and through 21, he gives this long list of acts of the flesh. He said they're self-evident, they're obvious. He gives this long list of examples. They're not a comprehensive list. There's many more but he says, I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this, in other words, those who conduct themselves in this way, 
will not inherit the kingdom of God. And then later on, he talks about the fruit of the Spirit. And he talks about the life characterized by the fruit of the Spirit. So if I told you that someone was not going to inherit the kingdom of God, and if I told you that someone was not led by the Holy Spirit, would you say that they are an actual believer, that they have eternal life? That is exactly what Paul is saying about those who are characterized by acts of the flesh rather than the fruit of the Spirit, those who gratify the desires of the flesh rather than living by the Spirit. They are showing their allegiance to the kingdom of this world. They're showing their loyalty to themselves over and against their loyalty to God. When you come to Christ, you are basically walking away from that old flame, the love of self, okay? Now if, now, if there was a couple and they were thinking about getting married and they were really getting serious and talking about it, and all of a sudden uh, she comes over to his house and he's got pictures of his old flame up all over the house and he, uh, she finds out he's been talking to her and he's been uh, texting her and all this sort of stuff, how do you think that relationship's going to end up? Probably not going to end up well, right? And this is why the Bible uses language like adultery to describe our relationship with God when we turn away from him. We are in a covenant relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Why would we think that we're going to live on earth like a double agent where we've got mixed loyalties and then stand before God and him say, sure, come on in to the kingdom? That doesn't make a lot of sense. God will ultimately send us to the kingdom that has our allegiance. I want you to think about that. God will send us to the kingdom that has our allegiance. If it's not him, then that's, he's going to send us away from him. If God has our allegiance, then of course he welcomes us into his glory. Today we're going to talk about the virtuous life and how it has three basic characteristics. We could say more than this, but as I proved in the early service, uh, I can only squeeze three of these in in the course of about 30 or 40 minutes. So um, number one characteristic, the virtuous are driven by love. The virtuous are driven by love. Love. Now, Galatians is an interesting letter because unlike other letters where Paul starts out and he says some nice things about them and he says, you know, how much he wants to see them and so forth, he doesn't really do that with Galatians. He jumps right in in verse 6, chapter 1, verse 6, and he says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all, Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. So he's dealing with a troubled situation where this church, they've heard the gospel is proclaimed by the Apostle Paul, and now they are being tempted to go elsewhere to live a different way, to accept a different gospel. He clarifies a little bit later on in chapter 2, verse 15, as well as some other places. But he says in chapter 2, verse 15, we who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles, know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ, and not by works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. And so we say, okay, we'll see right there, Jared, we're not justified by works of the law, we're justified by grace and through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But he continues, verse 17, but if in seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves also among the sinners, doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? 
Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, then I really would be a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. So he's saying what they had done is they had taken certain things from the law and they'd said, okay, this is what really counts. If you can do these few things, the, the circumcision, the dietary laws, and, and following certain holy days and festivals, this is what's going to bring you into good relationship with God. They picked out a few things that they thought were important. And by the way, we tend to do the same thing. We tend to take the things that we're good at and we say, okay, this is what it means to be righteous. But... Paul says, wait a minute, not so fast, and skip back over to chapter 5, Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. He says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. Well, Paul, could you clarify that a little bit? Down in verse 4, you who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace for through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness which we hope. In other words, this is not an arbitrary righteousness. This is not just, okay, we're, we're given a righteous status, but God is actually going to mold us and shape us in righteousness by grace through faith in the power of the Holy Spirit. He continues on. Verse 6, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts... Say this again, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. What counts, verse 6, is working through love. Literally, working through love or faith expressing itself, demonstrating itself, working itself out through love. What counts is found in verse 13, where it says we are to serve one another humbly in love. What counts is found in verse 14. The whole law can be summed up as what? Love your neighbor as yourself. This is about love. And this is not constraining or binding for us. This is not enslaving for us. God's goal is freedom. Verse 13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called for what purpose? For what purpose were you called? You're called to be free. It's a purpose statement. He's called us to liberate us. We actually have less freedom when we give in to the desires of the flesh, when we gratify the desires of the flesh, we actually have less freedom. We think that something promises us happiness or freedom when in fact it brings long-term addiction and harm. We could go things like drugs, pornography. We could go things like sugar even or just scrolling constantly social media. You could continue to fill in the blanks of things that even in some sense, uh, some of these things may be good or they may be completely evil, but a lot of times we think, okay, this is going to give us happiness, this is going to give us freedom, when in fact it brings addiction and slavery. But it's interesting what Paul says next. He says, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom for the purpose of indulging the flesh. Rather, what are we supposed to use our freedom for? Serving one another humbly in love. And here's what's interesting about that word. It's literally the word slave, to become slaves to one another in love. He's saying if you want to use your freedom, use it to become slaves to one another. 
That's what we read earlier. We're to have the mindset of Christ where we function and operate in servant-like humility. We are to have the posture of a foot-washing servant. We're to remember the words of Jesus that says that this mindset is in complete contrast to the way of the world. Luke 22, verse 24. A dispute arose among them as to which of them would be considered the greatest. And Jesus said to them, The kings of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. In other words, he's saying in the way of the world, who's the greater, the person at the table or the one who serves? Of course, it's the one at the table in the world, but I'm among you as one who's serving. You should be like Christ. If you want to become a virtuous person, in other words, you must become a person who is a humble servant to others. That means that you have a posture and a mindset where you're constantly seeking the good of others. You want others and motivated uh, for others to flourish, even if it means sacrifice for you even if it means sacrifice for you. Rather than living for yourself and being self-absorbed and self-centered now, you're living for other people. Now, there is an exception that if someone has a different political view than you, then it's fine to not love them, right? <laughs> Amen or ouch, right? We like to come up with exceptions, and a lot of us right now, we're thinking in our minds, okay, but there's got to be an exception, right? But Jesus is the one who comes along and says, love your enemies. Love your enemies. And you say, well, I don't like that. And I can agree with you on many days, I don't like that either. My flesh doesn't like that. Which is why Jesus says, deny self, pick up your cross, and follow after me. And you say, well, how could anybody possibly live like that? And that's where Paul gets to his next point. Number two, the virtuous are trained by the Spirit. The virtuous are trained by the Spirit. Notice he gives that line um, where uh, he talks about love your neighbor as yourself and uh, we're to be slaves of one another in love. Uh, and then in verse 16 he says, So I say, almost as if how are you going to do this? So I say, Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. In other words, how am I going to become this kind of person who's so loving, who loves their neighbor as themselves, and that's just their posture, their, their servant-minded posture? How do I get there? Well, you've got to walk by the Spirit of God, which means that your conduct and your behavior are shaped and directed by the Spirit. You are led by the Spirit. You are putting yourself under the influence of the Holy Spirit. The truth is, no external law or force can produce this kind of character within you. And any parent knows this. You've got some kids, and, and one does something wrong to somebody else. You're like, go, go and apologize to your brother. Sorry, you know, and... Now, did they mean that? No, they didn't really mean it. They're just going through the motions. Maybe sometimes they do, but a lot of times they're just going through the motions. We've all been there, okay? And by the way, we don't always want people to just do whatever is, live consistently with what's in their heart because sometimes we probably would want to go spit on people, right? 
So uh, that's not always that bad. Sometimes we just say, have a nice day, even if you don't feel it. But the role of the Holy Spirit, the job of the Holy Spirit, is to make our behaviors consistent with what is in our heart, to form a character and integrity within us where our actions are consistent with what's in our heart in conformity of Christ. Those who um, do not have the Holy Spirit, he says, do whatever they want. Notice, uh, as we continue reading, he says, verse 17, for the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit desires what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. Now, that's a big blow for a lot of us, right? Because that's exactly what we want to do when we wake up every morning is whatever we want. And a lot of us, uh, that's what forms and shapes our lives. We, we go through the day just simply doing whatever we want. The Spirit comes alongside us and begins to train us, begins to mold us, begins to shape us into the character of Christ. And what we can conclude from all of this is that living by the Spirit and becoming a virtuous person is by nature sacrificial. It is by nature sacrificial. It is by nature self-giving towards others rather than being self-focused and self-centered. When we ask one of the basic questions in life, how should I live? How should I live? Just know that whatever the answer to that is going to be probably is going to require something that you don't necessarily want to do, at least not initially. The beautiful thing about the Christian life is that sometimes you start doing things you don't want to do, and after years of consistent behavior and practice, now there are things that you love doing that years ago that you did not. I can say there were times where I didn't love going to church, right? And some of us, like, we're, we're here today. Like, whatever the motivation, we're here. Uh, but we may or may not be loving it, okay? Uh, but the beautiful thing is when you devote yourself, say, okay, this is what God's called me to do. I'm, I'm going to focus on I'm going to start loving this because this is good. This is right. Over the years, God forms you and shapes you by the Spirit to love the things you ought to love and to dislike what you should not love. Jesus at one point said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. The Spirit is the one who helps us get there. Now, my question before we move on to the next characteristic is how will you be trained by the Spirit? You're like, okay, I got it. I got it, Jared. We're, we're supposed to be trained by the Holy Spirit. We're supposed to be coached. We're supposed to learn from the Holy Spirit. Now, how do I do that? How, how am I supposed to learn from the Holy Spirit? And this is where we come back to the fundamentals of the Christian faith, the fundamentals of Christian life, which is reading Scripture, consistently, praying consistently. You say, well, uh, wait just a minute. Sometimes I get bored reading, Brother Jaron. So, and, and there's genealogies in here. And sometimes I don't like it. And that's where we go back to sacrificially sometimes starting to do things that you may not care for early on because you know in the end it's going to produce a harvest of righteousness in you. But if I were just to give you a list this morning of, okay, how can I put myself under the influence of the Holy Spirit? Fundamentally, read Scripture, pray, gather with the saints for worship, fellowship with other godly men and women, and pay attention to them, learn from them, 
listen to them. Remember what we said last week about the fool? The fool does not listen, but the wise, they listen. They are interested in learning from the people around them. They humbly put themselves in the posture of a student where they're constantly learning, joining God in his mission, giving generously of your time, efforts, and abilities, and your resources. It's almost like someone could come along and say, gather to worship, grow in community, give for the kingdom, and go to the world, to summarize it all. By the way, that's out there in the foyer. Um, okay, uh, characteristic number three. Characteristic number three. <laughs> We're doing good because in my fir the first service, I got to characteristic number three when I needed to be saying, and let's pray. Um, the virtuous practice kingdom ethics. The virtuous practice kingdom ethics. Remember, all of this, uh, in the middle of all of this, these will not inherit the kingdom of God. What's in the back of Paul's mind is there are certain behaviors that do not reflect the kingdom of God, that reflect the kingdom of this world, and then there are certain behaviors that do reflect the kingdom of God and the king, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. What does... What do works of the flesh and works of the Spirit look like? Well, if you look at verse 19, he says the acts of the flesh are obvious. In other words, they are self-evident. And you don't have to be, you don't have to go to seminary and spend years in ethics class or anything like that to understand some of these works of the flesh, these acts of the flesh, they're self-evident. Sexual immorality in verse 19, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. And the like means that this is not a comprehensive list. And I warn you as I did before that those who live like this, in other words, those who are characterized and defined by these practices and behaviors will not inherit the kingdom of God. So he's basically answering the question, what would it look like if someone did whatever they wanted in their flesh apart from the work of the Holy Spirit in their life? And that would be the list that Paul gives us. Now here's what's interesting. Last week we gave you three ancient keys uh, for the good life. Three ancient keys for the good life. Now the interesting thing about that is two of those threes are not uniquely Christian. Two of those three are not uniquely Christian. Let's talk about the wisdom of God, okay? We talked about the gospel in terms of the wisdom of God making foolish the way of the world. Uh, but just in terms of us recognizing that the world is designed to function a certain way, you don't have to be a Christian to recognize that. In fact, there's a lot of lost people, for example, that recognize that, hey, being lazy doesn't have a good outcome for you, and it's good to have a strong work ethic, and that generally leads to good outcomes, okay? So uh, even lost people recognize this. They write uh, books over stuff like this, and they would generally agree, although we might disagree on finer points. The same is true of Hevel. In fact, I gave you a quote last week from an atheist who sounded a whole lot like uh, the author, the teacher in Ecclesiastes. When he's identifying that, you know, so much in life doesn't feel like it has meaning, doesn't seem to have meaning. And they recognize that there is a glitch in the system and things do not always work out as they should. Okay, so th this is uh, true. What was unique last week about Christians is logos that we find our meaning and our purpose in life based on and directly connected to the cross of Christ, to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, what about 
virtue. What about virtue? Paul says vices are self-evident. I think the same could probably be true of virtue. Vices and virtues are self-evident. And he talks about how even in other places, even lost people recognize this. If we're to go to Romans 1, if we're to go to Romans 2, that even pagans recognize that there's things that are good and things that are evil. So can a lost person be virtuous? Maybe we can just bypass the Holy Spirit, right? Maybe we don't even need the Holy Spirit. We, we can all just live virtuous lives, perhaps. Because um, after all, lost people serve at soup kitchens. They serve in a number of different ways. We'd say, okay, well, that seems to be good. But I think we'd also say that motive matters. Motive matters. Your, your motivation for why you do something matters. I'll give you a couple of examples. One is, you know, somebody kind of come out of the blue and made contact with you, and suddenly they really seem to be interested in you, in your life, the things going on in your life. And man, this is just so great. They came out of nowhere and they're, they're concerned about me. And man, I didn't realize we were that close. And now here they are. And, and at some point in the conversation, it, it kind of turns a little bit. And they say, well, let me tell you about this new product I've been using. And suddenly you realize, okay, they're not wanting to talk to me because they really care about what's going on in my life. Uh, maybe that is or isn't true, but what motivated them to have this conversation was they've got something they're trying to sell me, okay? Uh, so we'd say motivation matters. I've uh, been in a situation where one of my churches, not here, one of my churches, uh, things were you know, going great, and all of a sudden uh, this guy shows up in the community, this a couple shows up in the community, and they, they were great. They sat down close to the front, and, and they started shaking everybody's hand. They got to know everybody, joined the church, really got engaged in the church, and come to find out, well, they're running for office. And as soon as the election was over, they were gone. And we'd say, okay, motivation matters. Why are you here this morning? I think you would say it really does matter whether you came here to church in order to worship the Lord Jesus Christ, to grow as a Christian, or whether you're just here because you're concerned about what others may think about you if you're not here. Okay, motivation matters. The Bible uh, speaks to that very clearly. What is the central motivation? What ought to be the central motivation for human beings? I think it's found in the Lord's Prayer. Right at the beginning of the Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Hallowed be thy name. The disciples were asking Jesus, give us a prayer. Now you think about what prayer is. What do you do when you pray? You, you pray for things you think ought to happen, some of the, the deepest uh, noble desires of your heart. You, you're praying for those things. And so the disciples were like, Jesus, give us a prayer. And he opens the prayer by saying, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. This means that we want our lives the way we think, the way that we speak, and the way that we act to bring honor to our creator and glory to our king. Jesus once said, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify the Father in heaven. The central motivation for our actions ought to be to bring glory to God, to magnify the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why we ought to serve in places like the food pantry or the nursery or a number of different ministries that we have in the church because we want ultimately not to bring honor to ourselves but to bring honor and glory to God. Hallowing the name of God, glorifying God, bringing God honor, loving God is what the Spirit teaches us uniquely to do. The Spirit teaches us uniquely to live that way 
and to have those motivations. This is the work or the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And what would that look like if the Holy Spirit came along, came into someone's life as a coach, as an instructor, as the teacher, as a counselor? What, what would we expect that person to turn into? What kind of person would they turn into? He gives a list. Verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, pa peace, patience or forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We're going to close by me just checking these off so that you understand what each and every one of these means. Love. This means that you are someone who offers sacrificial, self-giving care by pursuing the good and welfare of others through tangible acts of service. By the way, if you're taking notes, good luck, but this will be recorded and online. Um, joy, someone who lives with a confident hope in the goodness of God and expresses that hope by rejoicing in God constantly. Even when there's bad days, I still have hope in God. I still have confidence in God. The, the, the confidence does not waver. The Spirit teaches us that because there are days that look dark and, and dreary, but this God is who God is. He is holy, he is all-powerful, he is righteous, and he is good, and I have complete and total confidence in God. Peace, one who lives in harmony with God and the people around them, their neighbor, who is made whole by the Spirit of God and is content in who God has made them to be. Forbearance or patience, someone who has staying power. They are steadfast in their trust in God. They are resilient in their undying, unwavering faith, even through suffering or tragedy. Kindness, this is someone who treats people with dignity and respect, and they operate in humble service towards others. Goodness, this is someone who's deeply concerned about the welfare of others and even sacrificially gives of themselves and their resources to improve the lives of others. Faithfulness, someone who has spiritual grit. Who is someone who's in it for the long haul, who has an unwavering commitment and loyalty to Christ, and they are faithful in their relationships. Gentleness, rather than being harsh or cruel, you are someone who can receive criticism and respond graciously. You have a lowly, humble heart. And finally, self-control, someone who doesn't spit on people. No, um, someone who is not governed by emotions, but stays in control of their desires and acts with good sense or reason. So this is a summation of those virtues. He closes by saying this, against such things there is no law, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. And I think you put that last part in there because somebody might read that and say, man, I'm awesome at that, but this person over here uh, struggles with it, right? Uh, we may all have that sense to know that the goal of this, the goal of what we've just gone through is for you to start looking at those lists, begin to evaluate which direction am I trending? Which direction am I trending? Which actual practices do I have in my life? Yes, we're saved by grace and through faith, and that means that the Holy Spirit is working on you. If the Holy Spirit's working on you and coaching you and doing all this stuff, then you're not going to find yourself constantly in the list of vices. 
You're going to find yourself someone who's constantly trending towards virtue. You're growing in virtue. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Like you're, you're, this is the direction that you're headed in because the Spirit of God is working in your life. It's not like the Spirit of God is working in your life and he's failing if you're open to the Spirit. All right, let's bow our heads and close our eyes. I just want to give you a moment to self-reflect. This morning you might want to trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life or follow through with baptism or join the church. But I really want you to take the opportunity this morning to consider your ways. Consider your integrity. Consider your character and how directly related those are to your practices, to the way that you live. Who are you? What kind of person are you becoming? Are you growing into? Which direction are you trending in? Gracious Father, I pray that graciously the Holy Spirit would convict us of sin. I pray the Spirit would open our eyes to see some practices, some behaviors that perhaps a long time ago we were struggling with, but now we're very comfortable very comfortable in some of the sins that we've built up around us. And so, Father, I pray that you would open our eyes. Convict our hearts. Help us to be responsive. Help us to be people who repent of our sins and turn toward a gracious Christ who loves us and cares for us. And to know that there is life in your spirit. There's freedom in your spirit. I pray we would know that promise today. It's in Jesus' name we pray.